Hello, and welcome to The Unique CPA. I'm your host, Randy Crabtree. The goal of our show is to keep you at the forefront of the changing face of public accounting by having conversations with fascinating leaders and bringing you their stories, insights, and advice. The Unique CPA podcast is brought to you by Trimerit, the specialty tax professionals. Today, our guest is Jennifer Wilson. Jennifer is co-founder and partner of Convergence Coaching, a national consulting firm that helps leaders achieve success. She has been named one of Accounting Today's 100 Most Influential People in Accounting, Inside Public Accounting's Top 10 Most Recommended Consultants, and Practicing CPA's Top 25 Thought Leaders and Top 25 Most Powerful Women in Accounting. Last year, she was inducted into CPA Practice Advisors Accounting Hall of Fame. Jennifer is an experienced change agent who has worked in both public accounting and industry. She is a frequent speaker, writer, thought leader on topics related to leadership, the rise of the next generation, and managing change within the CPA profession. Jennifer, thank you for being on the show. Hey, thank you, Randy. And gosh, that was a long intro. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, honestly, on the show, my intros have been very long. I've been trying to shorten them. I actually could have said a lot more on you than I did there. So, so even though it sounded long, you've got a lot of accolades out there, and it's pretty impressive. Thanks. We're gonna, I'm going to want to get into a couple of things today. First, and this is, I thought, interesting to me, hopefully everybody, people find this interesting too. I just kind of wanted to find out the origin story of how you started Convergence Coaching. It, it, to me, finding those things out, and it's when I'm reading your bio, I don't think it said it there, but other things I've read, it's, it's getting close to two decades that you've been doing this. Is that correct? Yeah. April of 2020 will be 20 years old as a business. So wow. yeah, I know. Well, well, happy birthday in a couple months or a month, yeah. I guess next month. So, so what is the origin story? How did this start? How did this, the, how did you come up with this idea and, and, and run with it? Well, so uh, I was a partner at uh, BDO running a national consulting practice at, on the technology side for them for several years. And when I decided to get in the baby business uh, and have my first child, Della, who is 21. What I was doing at BDO didn't feel like it made sense. And uh, so I transitioned out. I started to do some freelance consulting, including consulting back at BDO. And I encountered a good friend of mine from the past, from my Sage days when I worked at Sage Software, named Jim Metzler. And Jim Metzler was a partner at Gaines, Reiner, Metzler and Company out of Buffalo, New York, a CPA firm partner who was doing technology consulting and, and auditing and a bunch of other stuff. And anyway, Jim, uh, I saw him at a conference and he said, I am so tired of public accounting and bored and I need a change. And I said, well, I'm doing this freelance consulting and leadership and management. And if you want, uh, we could, um, you know, maybe talk about collaborating. So he flew to Nebraska. I, it was one of those meetings where you think uh, you're going to do something and you sort of talk about it. You might have a phone call someday. I think he was on a plane and, and, and in Nebraska uh, within 30 days. So we had um, an analysis kind of meeting about our strengths and weaknesses, opportunities and threats as professionals and human beings and really laid it all out there super transparently and said, you know, here's what I love to do and what I don't love to do. And here's what I'm trying to do and, and what I want to do. And, and in that meeting, we gave birth to the idea of convergence coaching. And wow. we, we picked the name convergence because at the time we were thinking about the convergence between accounting and technology. 
which has taken 20 years. Now they're using it again. Uh, they're talking mm -hmm. about convergence all the time. And sometimes when I'm in the room, people will say, I feel like we need to pay a royalty to Jennifer or something, you know, but uh, it's taken a long time for the convergence for accounting and technology to happen. But Jim and I were both in the accounting and technology profession. So we saw that convergence as a natural, but also the convergence between leadership and management. At the time, 20 years ago, people weren't talking about leadership. Who am I being as a leader? What is my mm -hmm. mindset? What's my behavior like? You know, am I being generous? Am I being positive? Nobody was discussing those things. It was just uh, sort of do as I say, you know, here is the mandate, here are the rules, you know, uh, it's all management, old school, traditional management, uh, without really thinking about the leadership soft stuff. And Jim and I saw an opportunity to converge those two things inside firms. And so we started this baby 20 years ago. Now, three years into it, our very first client was the AICPA. And the, and we liked, I like to say I was a midwife at the birth of CPA to biz. Oh yeah. Um, and, he, and so Jim and I did a bunch of work for those guys on CPA to biz in the first couple years. And in that, he just kept doing more and more work for the AICPA. And it started to make sense for him to go over there and become the VP of small firm interests. Oh, wow. So we divorced wow. in 2003. And, um, and we have, uh, we're the happiest divorce couple you'll ever meet, you know, truly we, um, I was ready to run it alone and he was ready to go to the big leagues. And, and so, uh, since then my team of 11 and I have been trudging forward in a completely remote, completely flexible business environment with unlimited PTO and all of our assets in the cloud since 2000, before it was called the cloud. Yeah, that's amazing. You are ahead of the game uh, on all those areas because those are all areas that I thought we'd get into that virtual office, that flex time, that that uh, unlimited PTO. Uh, uh, those are all really interesting things. And that you, I guess you're living what you talk because you, you talk about those things when you're out on the uh, meeting with firms. Interesting. I like the orange origin story. <laughs> Interesting. It's always I always find it uh, when people start businesses, entrepreneurs, and where this idea came from and, and how they would went about doing it and then how they got to where they are today. So that, that's always interesting to me. There's a few key things that I know you touch on a lot when you're talking to clients or you're talking at seminars and we can go anywhere you want with this. But I guess let me ask you this then first, what are some of the key areas that you're having to deal with when you're out talking with CPA firms now? I guess what are the hot buttons or what's the one number one hot button at this point? Well, uh, I, would, I would say that uh, the number one hot button is change, and everything's changing. There's a book by Marshall Goldsmith that's called uh, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. Okay. And um, it is not the book's content necessarily that I'm focused on. It's the title. <laughs> what Got You Here Won't Get You There. That's pretty much sadly uh, almost accurate in every aspect of CPA firm management right now. Okay. Uh, so there are two big hard trends, demographics. We have baby boomers retiring at an incredible clip and a whole bunch coming that are going to transition out and leave behind, you know, hopefully some knowledge, but leave a gap, a pretty good gap of knowledge, having to transition client relationships, having to transition authority inside firms. And that is rife with opportunity for challenge and change. And then we have another big hard trend inside firms uh, or in the country, uh, maybe the globe, and that's technology and its impact on the way we do business. And technology and demographics converge. They do. They converge with the rise of millennial and Gen Z buyers and uh, talent. And as those people, uh, they are a digital culture, 100% 
digital and they want to do business digitally. They want to be served digitally. They want a, a digital experience. They want personalization. They want to be known like they are known by Google and Amazon. They want to be known that way by everybody else's electronics, which is super difficult if you're mm -hmm. using kind of a flat website today and things of that nature. If you're not using real good data and data analytics and artificial intelligence and machine learning, then then those are things that are going to be a big challenge to you as those folks become the buyers of tomorrow. So in that then, in that whole, we started with the transitioning um, yeah. leadership within firms and all that, but the, I, I think that goes along with the hiring, attracting, retaining good people at this point, because you're going to need those people to take over. Well, you need them already for taking over for, for the baby boomers. I think I'm at the end of the baby boomers and I'm, uh, I'm thinking we're retirement at some point in time. So, so there's been a lot going already. So let's talk about the employees first then. It, it, to me, this has come up in every, not every podcast, but half the podcast we've talked about that I've, I've had so far about just retaining, attracting, retaining good people. And I, I, not to dominate the time here for a second, but you, you already mentioned a few things that eliminate PTO, the flex time and all that. But before we get into that, how are we going to retract? Is there a shortage? I think there is. That's my impression. And then how are we going to attract and retain people so that we do have that next, uh, next gen leadership in line to take over? Yeah. So I think we start with uh, this idea, is there a shortage? And the answer is yes, there's a shortage of CPAs. And, uh, and, and there are fewer taking the exam, sitting for the exam, uh, pass rates 50% uh, or less. We have fewer now declaring the accounting major. There's strong competition for CPAs from IT data and from uh, finance. Those are big competitors on the on-campus uh, hiring, as well as industry. Uh, used to be in the olden days, industry uh, uh, finance departments waited to hire accountants until we seasoned them a couple years in public accounting. Mm -hmm. And today, they're just taking direct admits right out of school. And so the, the competition for these graduates is, is serious and fierce. And then out in the marketplace, experience accountants wanting to work inside public accounting with their designation are tough to find. And, you know, we have almost, uh, well, certainly it's, it's touted as less than 2% unemployment rate for accountants, but I would say in major cities, it's significantly less than that. So there is a shortage. And what do you do about it? Well, there's a bunch of stuff to do about it. First is you better start thinking about your business model differently. Uh, what got you here won't get you there. So yeah. if, we, um, if we think about the delivery of accounting services in audit, tax, and accounting, I'm going to ignore consulting for a minute. I don't want to ignore it, but I'm going to put it aside for a second. You know, the only uh, of those three services, accounting, audit, and tax, that requires a CPA designation is the signing of an audit opinion. And so thinking of the business model that it doesn't require a CPA license uh, maybe doesn't require uh, all the service delivery process of, for those services do not require uh, a CPA designation. They may not require an accounting graduate. So if we rethought our business model and our service delivery processes and mapped them and said, at what level do we have to have an accounting graduate? Where do we introduce that person? And stop thinking of first years or interns as having to be accountants. And, and so that's one, uh, one thing that firms just have to do. We need to think of things like accounting services reps, audit services reps that can come in and set up binders and um, you know, can, uh, can uh, pull data into spreadsheets and can do a number of things that we don't have to have an accounting degree to do. They can hand it off to more specialists later. 
Um, how can we think of the tax process as different? So the business model has to shift to consider non-accounting grads. And that means that you'll have to rethink promotion and, and all of that, because today a lot of firms won't promote past manager unless you have your CPA or even mm. past supervisor. And so some of that stuff's going to all get thrown up in the air, unfortunately, but that's how it has to be. And so outsourcing and offshoring, those are alternatives as well to deal with the capacity challenges and to take and strip out some of the work. And there are some wonderful options for that, both domestically and offshore, where you can hire CPAs, gig workers, remote workers, uh, all of that kind of hiring, thinking about people. It doesn't matter if you physically come to my office or if you physically go to the clients. So getting truly paperless, getting truly digital for all the service delivery using Zoom like you and I are using right. so that we can have collaboration, uh, letting go of the physical paradigm. When firms do that, when they go three-dimensional, I mean, they let go three-dimensional and they go remote or gig remote, which is temporary remote workers, when they do both of those things, they allow themselves to hire from anywhere geographically. They stop having... You know, if you want to hire a CPA, let's say tax manager in Manhattan, in my opinion, that's like saying, I also want you to find me a unicorn, you know, um, yep. it's, and, and the cost of that person is high right. and finding them is hard. And the ones that you probably unearth are probably not going to succeed. They're, they're, uh, they have risk associated with them. They're either slow or they're not getting understanding tax or they're mean. One of those three things, if you can readily find somebody, if they send your resume, it's going to be one of those th three things. So anyway, thinking about uh, letting go of the physical proximity allows me, if I'm a New York City firm, to consider recruiting and hiring a Kansas, uh, Topeka, Kansas, you know, accountant who would like to make a little more money than Topeka will afford, right. maybe work for a more progressive firm even and be able to go into the big city now and then, and yet still work mainly in my home in Topeka, Kansas. And when firms get that, then this whole idea that they can't find people, when they start changing those things, things loosen up. We stop having that conversation called, oh my gosh, we're in big trouble. We can't find people. Right. We could have a whole podcast, I'm sure, on generations within the CPA uh, profession and how that affects things, but not to get to that level right now, but is that if we have a, a boomer running a, a CPA firm, are they going to be more resistant to that? I'm just generalizing, but more resistant to that remote work, that gig job, all that than, a, than in somebody, a millennial or whatever the generations are called. Yeah, and, and well, there's a a gen, yeah, there's a Gen X in between too, between the boomer and the millennial, there's yep. Gen X and they're kind of a silent generation, not studied much and not talked about much. But, you know, I, I think, yes, it's possible that the older you are, the, the more attached you are to the way it was in the past. Right. But I don't, you know, I am the last year of the baby boomer and I am utterly unattached to the past. Okay. Uh, um, uh, at least as it relates to these business changes that we're talking about. And, and I've been running this remote business and trusting my people remotely for 20 years. And right. so I don't think it's got to be age-based, but I do think that it is hard for people to wrap their head around not seeing someone in their office. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I almost have a stand-up routine when I teach about remote work, about the silly silliness of that attachment oh, yeah. to the three dimensions. You know, like, for instance, in the olden days, we used to think that if somebody's car was in the parking lot when we pulled in, 
and it already had dew on the on the hood that that guy must be the hardest worker in the world and that must be the mvp he's amazing his car's always in the lot when i pull in and we never thought that maybe he was going home at night with his girlfriend and leaving his car in the lot or that he caught a huge buzz at happy hour and had to take an uber <laughs> you know what i mean we never right. think about that we just right. think wow his physical car in the lot means he's a hard worker which yep. is silly right and uh you know i see you always at the office you're there at the crack of dawn till midnight you are a productive worker. That's not true. It just means you're at the office a lot. Production yep. is totally different. Uh, producing great deliverables, um, exceeding client expectations, you know, really generating a lot of revenue. Those are uh, proof of production, and you can do that remotely. Yeah, and we, that, that's how we've actually built our firm as well, is that remote office. We have an office in the Chicago suburbs where a handful of people hang out, but majority of our people work remotely around the country, and, and everybody's very, very productive, getting their jobs done, and, and nobody's uh, cracking the whip to say, sit at your desk from nine to five. And, and uh, for me, it's worked. And uh, so for, for you and I, who I guess are boomers, we don't look at it that way. So, so I guess that's kind of nice. But I'm guessing there is some resistance to that that. Uh, so I guess transitioning then from, you know, maybe we're just looking for different types of employees. You don't have to have that CPA designation, but as we're building up that, you know, going into that transition of the next leaders, are we, if, are we retracting the right people? And then are we doing everything we can to retain those people to get them into that leadership role? Is, is the, are we doing okay with that? Is there any issues going on in that area? Well, uh, certainly retention is tough. And uh, if you're in the top 100, an IPA study uh, inside public accounting maybe two years ago showed that, you know, the one in five of the top 100 had turnover in excess of 25%. Wow. I think it's higher than that. Now, I, I would think that, that it's more than one in five that would be in that boat. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think we have a turnover problem and that's, it's um, multifaceted. I wish there was a single thing I could say, do this and turnover will stop. Right. Um, you know, I, I would I would tell you that if we became more generous uh, as leaders and more focused on the future and the sustainability of the firm, and we're, we're less worried about taking our chunk of the pie out uh, at the end of each year, and less worried about maximizing our retirement buyout, and more interested in figuring out how to sustain the firm then I think that would help us if, if, the, if our people believed we were. But I think that they, that's one of the challenges uh, is that it feels a little selfish at the top leader level, at least from the young folks that I get to talk to. But, you know, they want, they want all sorts of, you know, focus on future uh, technology, progressive strategies. They want to see the firm headed toward data analytics and mm -hmm. artificial intelligence. They want to see the firm implement lean strategies everywhere. They want the firms to figure out this capacity problem so that if we're short-staffed, you know, if a guy quits on my team and we're already short-staffed, all it means for me is I'm going to work harder this year. And the firm keeps saying, well, we're looking, but we can't find good people. Um, that's on my list of things to never say again. You're not allowed to say that as a leader because all that does is say to the person listening, hey, am I, am I not good? That's the first thing. And the second thing they say is, wow, this sounds like a hopeless business model. You're never going to provide me relief. Right. And that sort of contributes to this uh, hopelessness that might cause someone to leave our profession and go somewhere else. 
So is technology part of the answer then with that? Is that going to help with the capacity? Yeah. Big time. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we talked about non-traditional staffing a moment ago. Uh, the other big answer to the capacity or shortage problem is definitely technology and figuring out, you know, like there are still some firms in the country that aren't doing scan ahead on tax, right. uh, you know, auto-populate and, uh, and things like that that are really simple shifts that could strip out uh, some of the work. But culling clients that aren't good, you know, that's a, that's a non-technology strategy. That's another one that could right. open up capacity. Yeah. Um, but yes, there's this hope that if I could uh, download all of the clients' transactions and test them all, uh, that we would have less risk. And if it if it was one button push and all all transactions tested in, you know, 30 seconds or something, that feels like it might be possibly faster than the stuff we're doing now. And um, and if I thought the firm was headed that way, if we were automating the accounting and we were looking at robotic process automation for how to, um, you know, take steps out of some of the uh, client accounting processes we had, all of those things could speed up the work, hopefully reduce human error, and end up allowing us to do more with less. I've heard that. So we, 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 I've been fortunate to have some successful firms, Manji Partners on the podcast so far, and that type of topic has come up a lot. There, there was right. one uh, Richard Kopelman was talking about their uh, technology, and, and they had actually merged in a, 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 a firm a few a year or two ago that's helped with that and, and, and how they uh, have been to take, take advantage of that. And they also just talked about, and I think you've talked about this too, maybe not today, but I've heard you talk about it as you know, just having fun within the firm. And, and it sounds like a Richard uh, has done the uh, atmosphere of putting fun in the uh, CPA practice. And actually, I don't normally look at this, but I looked at their glass door rating and it was they're off the roof, out the roof, off the charts. I mean, it was just, you know, they were, so everybody's enjoying what's going on there. And obviously, you know, technology and fun are part of it um, as well. well. So, and, and they're yeah. a client of ours. So I'll, I'll say that another thing they're doing that would be on my list of things that help retain is that they're really focused on um, people development one size fits one, okay. uh, what they call uh, you know career development customization, and so they're really identifying what do their people want next, and then they're figuring out how to give that to them through learning and development and mentorship mm -hmm. experiences, how to shift their work so they can get more of those experiences. They're busy listening to their right. people. And that's another do on the talent management uh, list is regular huddles with your people. And I, I always recommend three questions. What do you really love that you're doing and why? That's one question. What do you not love? You know, you like least and why? And what, how can I help you? How can I help you? All right. And, um, and those are our favorite three huddle questions. And we recommend that they be asked of your people regularly. I didn't know you were working with uh, Apriel, so uh, that guy, I've always impressed every time I talk to Richard and what's going on there. So, so uh, um, that's good, and I'm sure a lot of that then comes from your convergent coaching. No, no, coaching. I'm not going to take any credit <laughs> for what they're doing over there. They're awesome. We get to help them here and there, but they really have their own uh, wonderful, progressive yeah. leader, leadership team focused on sustainability and getting to the next generation. They really are. So. Yeah, I, I talked to someone, another guy, John Sensabo, was on the show, and the, you know their commitment to the firm, and it's you know I think it, I think they go 
family community firm is their focus within that and then how that has helped them uh, attract and retain individuals within yeah, their firm. Awesome. And, and yeah. then one other, I just, cause these, this, all these topics keep coming up on shows cause they're very important to the, to the industry, obviously. And I love this industry. I've been in it for quite a long time now. I am, we did say I'm getting old. So quite a long time now, but there was a younger guy I had on Josh Lance. I don't know if you ever heard of Josh, but Josh has a completely virtual office completely flex time work schedule, a lot of part-timers, has no issue attracting people and retaining people. And I think that goes to you know a lot of things that you're saying that uh, you make it like that and, and the people are out there. Well, I mean, another, just one more idea there to Josh's um, model. You know, we like to tell firms like position that you will, you're open to having teacher's hours. You know, we'd love to have people work nine months a year and then take summers off or whatever the three-month slow period is to position the firm as flexible to, to you know, maybe young people with families who don't want to work that full 12-month calendar, don't want to work full-time and call it a, you know, still give them benefits and still do a lot of the wonderful things that you can do as an employer, make them feel part of the family and yet not force the, you know, the traditional paradigm on them. I think that all that all those progressive ideas, that's what comes together to make a place attractive. And any firm that feels like it's trying to run like we always have for next-gen talent and clients is less attractive. I think you've given us a, a lot of, of advice and help with what we've talked about today. The one thing that uh, we did mention that, that you mentioned that you had within your firm, I don't know if you said this on the show or before when we were talking, but the unlimited PTO, how does that work? I mean, it's just, hey, you need time off, take time off. Yeah. So uh, what it is essentially is it's unlimited PTO as long as you're meeting your goals. That makes sense. Okay. So, um, and, go and that means you have to have goals. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the first terrible part of it is that you have to establish real <laughs> results-based measurement that, uh, that are practical, but still a stretch for folks. And then people can take time off. They have to coordinate. They have to have backup to their role. Uh, so they can't just take time off and then the clients are freaking out and trying to find them. And somebody's got to be backing them up. They have to have a good handoff for their time off. They have to put it on a calendar so we know they're off. You know, preferably as much advance notice as they can supply. You can't do that when you're sick. And you can't do that when you have a last minute emergency. But otherwise, if you can plan ahead and let the team know, uh, the better. So it's not unlimited PTO with no communication. It's lots of communication. So clear goals, meeting results, lots of communication. But then, you know, take time off. And, um, and, uh, and we're not accruing. Uh, so we're not tracking time off. We're not accruing it. We don't have the liability. I'm not in the business of, uh, you know, uh, trying to ding somebody for a dentist appointment or something. And as a result of that, because I'm not clock watching, they're not clock watching. And I think I get more from them. You know, um, we have anytime, anywhere work. And I try to tell the team that's not everywhere all the time work. Right, right. Uh, but it can be, you know, it depends on what's happening and what kind of busy season we're in. But uh, people work the hours that work for them. And as long as they're accessible and responsive. I don't care. You know, it, it has to work for them and it has to work for our clients and for the rest of the team. But for the most part, people are able to call their own office hours. Some of our team members with younger school-age children, they have different office hours in the summer than they do in the, in the rest of the year. And we're good with that. And so they just communicate those shifts as the school year ends. And, you know, we're supportive of all of those different uh, lifestyle needs. And we end up with, I think, getting the very best of each of our people because of it. 
I agree. Uh, and I, I think that's, I think that's a great way to look at it. And I, I, I truly try to, I think I believe, I do believe that that's the way we look at things too. And, and I don't mention our firm many much on the show, but with Trimerit, we really don't have turnover. And I think that's part of it. We, we follow that same philosophy that you do. So, well, again, uh, I, before we wrap up, um, and we are going to wrap up in a minute because we are in a half hour about now. So, so what I'd like to do before we do, is usually try to wrap up with some fun fact. And one fun fact I saw about you, and there was a bunch out there, but it appears you enjoy running. Is that a, a passion? Do you do a, a lot of races? What's, what's the running uh, uh, passion with you, I guess? Yeah. So, yes, I'm pretty, um, pretty addicted to running. I'll yeah. confess it. Uh, it's part of my winning formula. I have a saying that everything's a problem before my run and nothing's a problem after. Right. Um, so running is part of my aggression release. It's one of the ways that I stay fit. It gives me tons of energy. Uh, so if I only got three or four hours of sleep for some reason, if I go for a run, I will have a much longer, more productive day and feel better than if I slept an extra hour. So I love running and, um, and I feel really lucky to be able to be doing it still at this age. And I'm very uh, careful to practice yoga and modified CrossFit and a bunch of other stuff to try to keep my muscles not getting screwed up while I'm running. But I do race. This year, I don't have a full plan. I ran a full last year in April of uh, 19, but I've got some halves. I'm going to run four halves this year. I'm going to run one race a year or a month, pardon me, minimum. And, uh, and I've been racing already. I've probably run three or four races already this year. Wow. So are you in it to win it here or uh, is it, is it uh, uh, at that level? Well, I'm in it to beat myself. That's what uh, I was so, thinking. Yeah, thinking. for yep. 100% sure, I want to best my last time on that course. That's right. what I'm trying to do. And I ran a course yesterday, uh, or no, Saturday of this weekend. It's a five-mile course. It's a winter series that's run all every other Saturday from a small little church in a town of maybe a thousand people hmm. in Nebraska and a bunch of cross country kids and polar bears, you know, uh, uh, older people who run in the winter, right. we all show up and run this five mile course, uh, which can be in any condition of ice or snow or gravel. And they never cancel it, no matter the temperature or the weather. Uh, but this week was really warm and nice. And, uh, and I beat my course record and nice. Uh, yeah. And so I'm trying to do that. And people say you're supposed to get slower as you get older. And I say, no, I'm getting faster. And so I must not be getting older. I, For as long I, as I'm getting I, faster, I'm getting yep. younger. I'm in the same boat with you. I, I'm addicted to working out. If I miss a day, it's like, okay, yeah, I need a day off every once in a while, you know, but if I, you know, go six days a week, I, I, I'm pretty good with that. And then I'm just competing with myself all the time. Push harder today than you pushed yesterday. Go longer today than you went yesterday. Unfortunately, I have a knee replacement, so I can't go jogging anymore or running anymore. But I, I agree. I think it, it just gives me the energy. So everything that you said. So I think that's awesome. And I think people could take a lot of good advice from that as well. So I am going to wrap up even though I said I was before. I'm going to wrap up now. I really appreciate you being here. Before we go, is there uh, any way people can get a hold of you? Obviously, the website, other areas that uh, if anybody has any questions, uh, looking for more advice uh, from uh, what you taught us today. Yeah, they could email me at jen at convergencecoaching.com or they can catch me on Twitter at Jen Lee Wilson. All right. Well, again, thanks for being here and thank you everybody for joining us today. 
Thank you, Randy. At this point, I'm going to sign off. I want to thank everybody for joining us today. Uh, you can find all the links and show notes for today's episode, as well as more about Trimerit at theuniquecpa.com. Uh, remember to subscribe and join us for our next episode, where we will bring you another interesting guest and hear their stories and insights.